This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is bonus episode 198. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. On bonus episode 198 we are going to recap the first 10 movies of our 31 of October. Now I'm going to be honest with you guys out there. This year has been wildly inconsistent with the selections. As I thought I chose better than I had and you will find out when we get to our reviews we have 10 completely, completely different styles and movies to discuss which I'll be honest with you makes for a more exciting time when it comes to the reviews but we'll be recapping the first 10 of those movies in this episode. As always I like to recap on what has been and what will be on podcasts under the stairs in the week these episodes drop. Now, the Bazaween episodes, which have been dropping on Mondays, I mean, they're recorded well before plans are made. And as a result of them being recorded well before plans are made, I will say on those episodes that I don't know where things are going. These episodes are usually pretty much on the pulse. Truth be told, I'm recording this one right before it goes out. So I know what is coming up for the rest of the week. So allow me to let you know. Saturday is going to bring you a little bit of irreverence. This one is a listener request. The first time we've had a listener request for irreverence. And I know what you're thinking. Duncan, irreverence is a personal selection. What the fuck are you doing, buddy? You can only pick what features on that show. Well, to be honest, this one had been planned for sometime next year. But someone was like, why not? Why not? And this happened in the flick chat. Like, why not bring forward another one of these little irreverence ones where you pick a composer and dedicate an episode to them and that's what we'll be doing so on Saturday you're going to be getting my choice cuts of a a little group of Italian musicians called Goblin so a very special um, in reverence with selections of Goblin's music will be dropping this Saturday listener whose name I forget out there that episode is for you buddy you suggest it so I am bringing it to you and then on Sunday it is a little chance for us to do the third instalment of the Slippery Camp series. This is uh, the next disc in our 88 films slasher classic collection and boy is it a dumb one but we're gonna get to it so that's coming up on Sunday then Monday obviously it's Bazoween episode number three. The Baz takes on Rosemary's Baby. About five years in the making that review. Unbelievable when you think about it. So that is dropping on Monday. And that's you all up to date. Right, let's take a very short break just now. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. And then we're just going to swing in a little bit of music, I think. Let's get the Halloween spirit going before I return with 10 mini movie reviews covering the first 10 selections of Podcasts Under the Stairs 31 of October. I'm going to be right back to do that right after this. (laughs) 
Want to learn more about horror directors with a lighthearted look at three of their movies? Meet fearless podcaster Gore Blimey. I've been unsettled by bats in the past and startled by parrots, and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo. Discover horror films that are classics, and others, too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep fright But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion, and background information, too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay porn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. One of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies. be a part of the Ladomus Gaming Dynasty Empire? Uh, Dominion. We prefer Dominion. I honestly can't wait to be a part of your family. There's just one more thing. And then you are officially part of the family. So, at midnight, you have to play a game. Why? It's just something we do when someone new joins the family. A game. What game? Hide and seek? Are we really going to play that? Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? I mean, stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> no, thank you. Good luck.
the hell is this? How old is this thing? I know you're in here. Oh, Jesus. You shot the maid. Does she look like she's wearing a giant white wedding dress? Emily? <gasps> Holy shit! I had to play along so that I can get you out. It's insane. They think they have to kill you before sunrise. Or something very bad will happen to the family. If we don't find her and perform the ritual, we're all dead. Found her. God damn it, Emily! I don't know what I'm doing! And today's video is called... Getting to know your crossbow. I forgot my gun. Why don't you just use mine? Mr. Lodomas, I just saw her running. Just another sacrifice. Do you think this is a fucking game? Yes, hide and seek. Remember? He wanted to get married. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And welcome back. So. Ladies and gents, oh, ladies and gents, let's do this. Ten movies, the first ten movies that I have watched this month as part of my 31 of October. Movie number one was seen at the cinema. Me and uh, the sexy sex bombaz went to see it. We went to see Ready or Not. It's a comedy horror uh, directed by Matt Bettelini. Alpin, I think it's how you pronounce that, and Tyler Gillette, um, based on the Ryan Murphy, Guy Busiek uh, script. The movie itself stars Samara Weaving, Adam Brody, Mark O'Brien, Henry Cerzi, I think, Andy McDowell, Melanie Scrofano, Christian Brun, oh dear, it's all went off the rails right at the start. Let's just fuck this in the ass and give you the synopsis that's listed on IMDb. It says, A bride's wedding night takes a sinister turn when our eccentric new in-laws force her to take part in a terrifying game. So I'd heard a lot about this one. This one came out in the States, what, two months ago? And I was kind of looking forward to it. I know Bo wasn't overly sold on this one. Uh, and so I went in to watch it with a bit of trepidation. Me and Bo tend to be very much alike on a lot of things. Not always in horror comedies, but on a lot of things we tend to, to marry up quite well. So I was a bit pensive, although I do know a lot of people that had said to me, ready or not, it's a lot of fun, you're going to enjoy it. And, I mean, for the most part I did. I think it is a very fun movie. It has a particular mean streak of humour through it, which I can kind of get behind. I mean, it's a godsend at about an hour and a half long, and it has a ballsy ending which it is not afraid to stick to, albeit I imagine it put off a lot of people that watched it. So, to me, I thought they did it right. I wouldn't have swerved away from that. I would have, you know, went full on, head first. The bus would have been turned right into that cliff. Um... Whereas I imagine there's a lot of people out there that would have liked it to pull away from that into something a bit more normal, a bit more terrestrial. But yeah, I, I think the performances were really good. Samara Weaving is excellent in it. As a 
some familiar people that you have seen in other movies playing very similar roles to what they're usually cast in. Um, the gore's good. The acting kind of across the board is great. Um, my only gripe was I genuinely felt the first 25 minutes were a bit slow, uh, a bit monotonous, and the humour to me doesn't really kick in proper until just after the halfway mark, which is a long time to introduce humour in a movie, especially if that's your angle. If it's a horror comedy you're going for, or a comedy horror regardless, you kind of need to introduce that humour in a bit earlier. I think Ready or Not uh, almost kind of has an identity crisis in its first half an hour or so, where it's like, are we or aren't we doing this? Um, when it does do it, it's glorious. I think the humour works great in it, but for whatever reason, it just feels like they were a bit pensive at the start, and as a result, it plays a bit more serious than a movie like this should play, which, to me, really is its only kind of misstep, albeit that is, to me, a big misstep. I would be interested to check this one out again, because, once again, for the most part, I think it delivers a lot of what I wanted from the movie, in a way which felt satisfying, it definitely has kind of shades of your next and elements of cabin fever are in there, not cabin fever, cabin in the woods are in there, which, you know, from my point of view, made me enjoy it. I, you know, I got I got those elements in a, in a way which kind of made me smile, but I, like I say, I just felt it, it just took too long to get into it. And kind of as a byproduct of that, when it came to actually given this one a grade um, it came in at a three and a half out of five i've been interested to check it out again i think watching it for a second time i might get more out of it my official letterbox review read whilst a very enjoyable and bloody movie in parts it wasn't exactly as much fun as i was hoping the ending commits to it's crazy and i really appreciated that but a slow opening 20 minutes and maybe some slight tonal issues pulled it down a little for me Still a decent opening for my 31 of October while slightly pulling, uh, puzzling as to the huge amount of credit it was getting. For fans of it, Stage Fright from 2014 and Your Next from 2013. So you can follow me on Letterboxd, ladies and gents. Uh, I am on there. I'm reviewing all these movies over there. So you can jump over and check me out. Um, you can follow me over there. I think it's Visual Chaos. I think that's what I go under. Who the fuck knows? Uh, yeah, it's Visual underscore chaos I think is more like it so yeah follow me over there if you want to find out these things as and when they drop uh, or failing that just wait for the episode wait for me to talk some of you like that some of you are like Duncan we don't want to read your words because they're full of grammatical er errors and spell mistakes let's just listen to your voice so if that is the case well there you go your option is also there to listen to these reviews so three and a half out of five for ready or not um, you're going to hear the trailer for our next movie is, of course, Nightmare Cinema. I'm the projectionist. The curator of a hundred years of nightmares. Trapped in a silver screen that never forgets. Welcome to my nightmare. Give me, bitch! 
And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for Nightmare Cinema. It was the second movie of my 31 of October. This one is the anthology and what a cast in the anthology credits here. We have Alejandro Bruges who did The Thing in the Woods. Uh, Joe Dante does uh, Mariara. Uh, Mick Garris does The Projectionist and Dead. Rihui Kitamura does Mash It. And David Slade does The Way to Egress. So these are respectively the director of One of the Dead. Joe Dante needs no introduction at all. Mick Garris, I'm not a big fan, but he also needs no introduction at all. Rahui Kitamura did that movie recently, Downrange, that I didn't like, but is more probably fondly remembered for something like Midnight Meat Trainer Versus. Um, and David Slade did 30 Days of Night. In terms of the cast in this one, it's a massive cast. It's an anthology. I'm not going to read them all, so we'll just do some choice, kind of choice cuts here. You got Mickey Rourke, Richard Chamberlain, Adam Goodley, Orson Chaplin, Eric Nielsen, Kevin Fontier, and Maurice Bernard. Um, the synopsis for this one is: Five strangers converge a haunted movie theater owned by the Projectionist, played by Mickey Rourke. Once inside, the audience members witness a series of screenings showing their deepest, darkest fears over five tales. So, on paper, this movie should have knocked it out the fucking park. Let's be honest, it should have knocked it out the fucking park. You've got some heavyweights here, even if I don't like all their stuff. This should be a tour de force because you're giving them nice, short, sharp stories and allowing these pros of cinema, veterans, so to speak, flex their muscles. Nightmare Cinema is not a good movie. I am baffled, like genuinely baffled, at how this is scoring so high with not only other podcasters, but on Rotten Tomatoes, the score for this movie is, like, silly. I mean, this is like, ranked as one of the top 10 horror movies of 2019, and it is not good. There is one decent short in here and it's the Joe Dante one. All the other ones are various shades of waffle. Um, Mickey Rourke, fuck knows why he's here. He's playing, I'm not even concerned about spoilers, he's playing the devil. This is like Dr. Terror's train of, uh, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. The um, Amicus movie set on the train with Peter Cushion and you know Christopher Lee etc etc. It's kind of that format where, you know, people are being shown the thing that might happen to them that might actually have happened to them. This almost kind of purgatory state of your worst fears will have a reckoning on you. And that's the kind of setup. So this is well-trodden ground. We've seen it in things like The Twilight Zone before. We've seen it in things like your Tales from the Crypt before. And now Nightmare Cinema's taking its swing at it. But it's trying to pass it off as a little bit cleverer than it actually is. Um, all the shorts just are really generic and soulless and bland. Some of the special effects and some of them are horrendous. And for the most part, like especially Garris' one, oh my god, it's like pulling teeth. His one, and even the wraparound story, which has got his name as a credit, is not great either. Uh, the Joe Dante one is probably the best, and even then, it, it's not the best because it happens to be brilliant. Um, it's the best because it's better than the ones that are surrounding it, to be honest. And not by much, it's a marginal thing. It really surprised me 
at how mediocre the quality was overall. Um, I'm not even going to go into the individual segments here. If you are a anthology seeker, then you might want to check out Nightmare Cinema, but I'm just going to let you know right now, strap yourself in for something you're not really going to enjoy. I just can't imagine people coming back and telling me that this is a great anthology. I think it lacks all the passion, drive and enthusiasm that makes a good anthology. Uh, this is an anthology that treads water from start to finish, which is a shame. Like I say, I want to be sitting here excited to talk about Joe Dante, who's genuinely a director that I credit for pretty much shaping my love of cinema as a youth. And I can't do it. And it's it's kind of soul-destroying, if I'm, if I'm honest. Uh, when it comes to what I said about this on Letterboxd, um, I wasn't kind, uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, it, got, it got fairly, fairly... Uh, Fairly called out for its feelings. Uh, I said, what let down? With some heavy genre weights behind the camera, you'd expect a higher level of storytelling and something more deft. Instead, there are five mediocre, actually more like four, anthology segments. Joe Dante's segment is a highlight um, of the whole show, and even though it is lesser Dante. Garris has a tedious segment and while Slade's segment is interesting, it doesn't do much with its ending. Very disappointing and unsure where the love on Rotten Tomatoes is coming from. I gave this one a 2, a 2 out of um, 5, and I think the 2 was leaning more towards I felt sorry for Joe Dante. It could have easily got lower, it could have easily got a 1.5 or maybe even a 1. Um, not good, it's the worst one I've seen out of the collection thus far, and that is saying a lot considering on this episode we're going to be talking about a movie starring John Travolta, directed by Fred Durst. We're not doing that next though. Uh, for the next movie we're going to do a little creature feature. We're going to talk about Itsy Bitsy and the trailer's coming right up now. Private home nursing jobs are tough to come by. We're lucky I got it. Your son, you're not supposed to be in here. Yes, sir. Davy's markings me. You know what a legend is? This is my Akalaratri, the dark mother. Do you believe all that? A legend can't be explained by science. Something wrong enough. It becomes reality.
did. You were just having a bad dream. And you've just heard the trailer for Itsy Bitsy. This one is directed by Mika Gallo. Um, the screenplay was Jason Alvino and Brian Dick. The cast for this one is Bruce Davison, Elizabeth Roberts, Denise Crosby, Armin Darbo, Chloe Perrin, Treva Etini, uh, Matty Cardolopi. I think that's not right, but fuck it. Um, the synopsis for this one is based on a centuries-old poem. The family moves into a secluded mansion where they soon find themselves being targeted by an entity taking the form of a giant spider. Right, Itsy Bitsy is a weird one to review, if I'm honest, because there was a lot of this I actually did quite like, uh, but overall it's a bit of a mess. The reason it's a bit of a mess is kind of twofold here. One, the cast is not great. Uh, which is usually not a huge issue when dealing with creature feature movies. Um, I mean, you've got a couple of interesting cast choices here and the kind of crazy Denise Crosby who plays this weirdly passive-aggressive police officer. Uh, and Bruce Davidson, who I'll watch in pretty much anything. I think he's a, quite an interesting actor anyway and he's clearly having fun with this role. Our main characters, though, are just not great. So Elizabeth Roberts and uh, the two kids, Armin Darbo and Chloe Perrin, play the Spencer family. And the Spencer family are just not interesting. I just want to spend zero time with them. I'm not I'm not concerned about their well-being. I, I actually more of the kind of tertiary characters, like Davidson and Crosby's characters, who are, you know, incidental to the plot. They were always going to go the way that they were right from the off. So, yeah, so there's that aspect. The thing that kind of does right for the most part is the creature design is really good. Um, for a lot of this movie, it appears they're using some form of practical puppetry, which I appreciate. It moves into some CGI stuff, which isn't great, but it's not terrible at the same stretch. They, they cover it well. The story's a bit nuts. It's, you know, an ancient curse from, you know, potentially alien descent here, uh, or maybe Mayan, I, I don't have a fucking clue. And they crack open an egg which summons this spider demon thing. And yeah, there's that. The biggest crime Itsy Bitsy has is just the sheer lack of death in it. Like, if you're doing a schlocky creature feature, you need to have a lot of death in it. This movie doesn't have it. In fact, we are close to about the 40 minute mark before things really start to heat up with the spider stalking people. And that's an issue. That's a big issue for a movie like this. It needs to be more concise. It needs to, you know, hammer more death in there and live up to its schlocky roots. That's what it is. It's a schlocky creature feature. And that kind of let it down for me. Um, it's not a terrible movie by any stretch of the imagination. I quite like the score. Some of the cinematography is really good. And like I say, the special effects are good. You've got some quirky kind of character actors in the background kind of elevating it. But you have a main family I'm just not interested in. And a distinct lack of death which causes me to wonder what's going on with this project and what's going on with this movie. Once again, saving grace for it is it is fairly short. Which wins at points for me. But... Yeah, it's very run-of-the-mill, 
very pedestrian and generic in a way which a movie like this the more bonkers the better even if I don't like how bonkers it's getting the more bonkers the better in terms of what a rotten letterbox I said to be fair they did everything they could with this one but it's ultimately not doing much for me some weird shaky cinematography at times stunted family dialogue and inconsistent creature effects didn't give me much to cling on in the movie two and a half out of five I stick with that two and a half I think that's a fair grade I think it is just painfully middle of the road movie um, it doesn't do anything to elevate it and it certainly doesn't do much more wrong to drop it down I just expected a little bit something more from Itsy Bitsy and it just didn't deliver which is a shame so yeah Itsy Bitsy got two and a half out of five for me right so let's move into the next one. Oh boy do I want to talk about this gonna hear the trailer for what was movie number four and the ten movies we're covering as part of our 31 of October it is of course Fred Durst's The Fanatic. Uh, here's the trailer. It's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Dunbar. Is Hunter Dunbar here tonight? That's enough. I need to get an autograph. Don't let him do this to me. I'm a fan. I'm a number one fan. Is it difficult to find famous people's houses? I use my Star Map app. You have to be careful. I don't want you to be accused of stalking. Hey, you can't just come to my private residence looking for me. Listen, pal, I don't know how you found me, but I don't ever want to see you in this neighborhood again. heard the trailer for The Fanatic. Another short movie. I was picking short movies, like unintentionally. I like this trend back to the hour and a half thing. That to me makes me smile. Um, the Fanatic on the other hand, oh dear god. Um, so, story and screenplay by Fred Durst. Directed by Fred Durst. And the movie stars strap yourself in for this one. John Travolta, Devin Sawa, Anna Goyoja, Jacob Grudnick, James Paxton, Josh R Richman, Jeff Chase. There are some other people in here, but who gives a fuck? Um, synopsis for this one is, a rabid film fan stalks his favourite action hero and destroys the star's life. Um, this movie, you can probably hear me smiling because this is the worst movie that I've seen thus far in terms of everything. This is also the most entertaining movie I've seen thus far by a country fucking mile. Um, this might be the epitome, I hate using these phrases, but this might be the epitome of so bad it's good. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know why. John Travolta's uh, character is puzzling 
to say the least. He's potentially mentally handicapped, must be socially awkward. Um, his dialogue makes no sense. I think a lot of this might have been ad-libbed because he openly contradicts things in the same sentence that he said. And his performance is weirdly awkward, like physically awkward. And then you've got Devin Sawa, an actor who I happen to love, playing this really aggressive, obnoxious star and... I don't know, I, I think Travolta, even though his character's horrible, I think Travolta's performance is better. I don't know, Is like... I sat dumbfounded watching this movie. In fact, truth be told, I watched the first 10 minutes and I'd been out with a work night out that night and I was very kind of drunk. And I was getting about 10 minutes into it and I was like, my brain cannot handle this. I need to go and get a sleep. And I got up in the morning, switched it back on, watched it from scratch and chuckled, laughed, sat uncomfortable and was wowed in ways that a movie like this should not wow me by just how fucking dumb it is. There is, like, everything across the board is strange. Like, Fred Durst cannot fucking direct. Uh, we have weird choices of a character to narrate, which doesn't make any sense, and why would she be friends with Fred Durst? We have Fred Durst just doing... Uh, John Travolta, sorry. We have John Travolta doing things that don't really make sense for a character. This and weirdly unbefitting of the character arc, but wholly entertaining all the way through it. Uh, Devin Sawa's character once again is almost repellent but I think that's supposed to be that way but weird choices there we jump into at times weird animation dreamlike sequences and it just doesn't all marry together it just doesn't tie together and what you come out the other end is like you feel like you've been in a war to get through this movie but it's a war which you would happily go back through again. I would watch The Fanatic again. That's the bit that puzzles me. I would sit and watch this fucking movie again and I don't know I'm happy with myself saying that. Like, I actually feel lesser of myself saying that I would watch The Fanatic again. It is a terrible fucking movie. Absolutely terrible. It's got next to no saving grace at all or features that are worth sitting down to actually talk about. But I would watch this movie again in a heartbeat. If it was on right now, I'd watch it. And I hate myself because of it. It's, yeah, this one. I think me and Bo are going to do a full review of it coming up. So I'd, I'm loathe to see much more about it. Because uh, I want to do that kind of deep dive and not, like, spurt my load over this review completely. Um, here's what I wrote in Letterboxd, so I wrote a complete train wreck of a movie, yet oddly... I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. Travolta is either turning in a wonderful performance or one of the worst things this year. There is weird choices in terms of narrative, narration, cinematography, and the list could go on and on. I gave it a 3 out of 5 and I'm sticking with that 3. This is a fucking shit movie. But if there is one movie that you see this year, tick the fanatic off this list, honestly you will have no shortage of things to talk about. And I, I shit you not, when it comes to bang for buck and entertainment fields, this one delivers more than a movie like this should. And then some. So yeah, The Fanatic, 3 to 5, who would have thought it?
Right, you're going to hear the trailer for the next one. Uh, the movie that reached the kind of halfway mark for me was In the Tall Grass. It's the one that's based on the Stephen King Joe Hill short. And yeah, it has Patrick Wilson in it and the trailer's coming right up. Did you hear that? Someone out there? He's lost in here too. This is nuts. It's only a feel. I'm never gonna find her. You can find things, but it's easier once they're dead. How long have we been here? I'm not sure. sounded like me. This field doesn't make any sense. Name one thing in here that does. You think this is just chance? We're all here for a reason. Oh my god. So you just had the trailer for In the Tall Grass. It's based on the novella by Stephen King and Joe Hill. Um, the screenplay was adapted by Vincenzo, Vincenzo Natale, who also directed it. He is best known for Cube, but also has worked on TV shows like Hannibal and the list goes on and on and on of other shows that he has worked on. Um, the movie itself has Lysa de Oliveria, Avery Witted, Patrick Wilson, Will Blue Jr, Harrison Gilbertston, uh, Tiffany Helm and Rachel Wilson. The synopsis for this one is, after hearing a young boy's cry for help, a sister and brother venture into a vast field of tall grass in Kansas, but soon discover there may be no way out, and something evil locks within. So this one was straight to Netflix, this one is the first of what is basically every Friday they're dropping some horror related project for us to check out and I was keen to check this one out not only because King stuff adapted directly to Netflix I think it was two years ago when we got things like um, 1922 and Gerald's Game 
and were really, really cool. And I thought, this is the this is the way you do things now. You do it over there for King because you can spend a bit of time. You're not beholden to uh, studios telling you what to change, what not to change, endings, etc., etc. So I was really interested to check this one out. And for the most part, I think In the Tall Grass is a good movie. It's a, like a good movie. Now, I've never read the original source material, but I enjoyed a lot of what this did. The idea of being lost in this tall grass was handled really well. It plays with time in a way which made me like very happy. I love movies that play with time, where you get almost uh, paradoxical situations of A leads to B leads to C leads to A. Uh, and your actions having an effect with things that happen in the past that also affect the future. I, I love aspects like that. And it has a really interesting central kind of central reveal, which I didn't dislike. I know I've read somewhere, some people going, oh, here we go. I start to roll. King's coming out with another one of these crazy cookie situations. I quite liked that. I thought the performances were great. I thought Patrick Wilson was awesome. Uh, he kind of plays a role which is almost akin to something like Randall Flagg a little bit, of someone who is completely spiritually enthralled by something that is inherently dangerous and evil. So I, I kind of liked that. I thought he was actually a genius bit of cast in here. The rest of the cast do things quite well. Some of the special effects are awesome. Uh, some of the slight scares that are done really well, although it's not an overly scary movie, but the idea of being lost and not being able to, wait to find your way out of something, or unreliable situations of something uh, you're convinced is in one place, when you walk towards it you find that you're further away than where you were, I think all that is done really well. My biggest gripe within the tall grass is it's just too long, it's an hour and 41 minutes, and because it's repeating very, essentially the same situation over and over and over again, by about the 75% mark, I'm like that, this movie could finish now. And I think, you know, we could take some of these re repetitive circumstances out with no massive effect to what we're actually seeing on the screen. I mean, it's an enjoyable watch. I would certainly see check it out if you get a chance. If you've got Netflix, you do yourself a favour. Check it out, it's available for you on there. And I kind of came out giving this one a three and a half out of five. On Letterboxd, I wrote, I really dug this movie. It twists and weaves through space and time with a simple yet overtly Stephen King tone. Based on the story by King and his son Joe Hill, the cast are solid and the camera work is disorientating. I feel this movie is maybe a bit long and as such, there are times where it was a tad repetitive and that's my only real slight here. I gave it, like I say, a three and a half out of five. And yeah, it's on Netflix. So if you've got a Netflix account, check it out. It's, it's worth checking out for sure. That was In the Tall Grass. Right, let's power on to our next movie. And next on the list was Braid. Here's the trailer. So, how do you want to do this? We'll need to search the whole house to find the safe. To do so, we're gonna have to play the game. Once we get into the house, whatever she asks you to do, you're gonna have to do it. No excuses. She says we obey. Mom, the doctor's here. Welcome back, doctor. Rule number one. Everyone must play. 
heard the trailer for Braid. Now I want to say this is the feature debut of writer-director Mitzi Pironi. <laughs> I have no idea you pronounce that. I apologise profusely. This one was a nice short movie. It was an hour and twenty long um, and is the first art house sort of horror movie we are covering in our 31 and trust me I was very much looking forward to this. Braid came out right at the start of the year and I've had multiple sources tell me that I would love this movie. So I was very much looking forward to checking it out. Uh, the movie itself has Madeline Brewer, Imogen Waterhouse, Sarah Hay, Scott Cohen, Clyde Baldo, Rob Leroy, Zach Calhoun, Lenore Wolfe, and other folks in here. Synopsis for this one is, Two wanted women decide to rob their wealthy, psychotic friend who lives in the fantasy world they created as children. To take the money, they must take part in a deadly perverse game of make-believe. This movie kicked ass. I really, really, really dug this one. And actually, the grade that I have given it, in retrospect, I would probably, I'd probably want to try and go higher. I'm holding back because I'm going to try and go with my gut on my reviews here. Whatever I put in letterbox is what I'm reviewing here but I could see me watching this later on in the year and coming back uh, with maximum marks for Braid. There's just so much to really dig your teeth into here. I think the central performances by the three uh, ladies are, are fucking brilliant. There's a use of practical effects in a way which I really thought worked well. The use of lighting, the cinematography, the score is all captivating. And then at its central core, this idea of something which is like a kind of weird hybrid of kind of almost like Saw meets Funny Games meets, you know, a Sallow meets, you know, all these things where there's depravity happening here and a degradation and torture and violence, but almost in a weirdly sort of romanticised kind of fairy tale-esque way and I think a lot of that comes down to the cinematography and the lighting specifically but there's yeah the, the kind of fantasy elements here are done really well and then further down a layer beneath that is this I kind of abstract idea of what is actually going on in the movie and whether or not what you're seeing is actually real or whether or not it has happened or whether or not we are in the make-believe fantasy world made up by someone who has been mentally scarred from an accident in their youth. Some of that kind of reminded me a little bit of, and there are like slight shades of Incident in a Ghostland in here, um, that when this movie finished, my brain went to overdrive and 
I thought about it pretty much the rest of that night into the following day was still kind of turning it over and over and over in my head and yeah Braid is a, a, like a really interesting rich feeling movie a lot of substance here a lot of things to get your teeth sunk into which is contrary to what you read online a lot of people are like this is vacuous there isn't a lot happening and I think that's what happens when you delve into the more kind of art house stylings or tropes or trappings of a kind of story like this you're going to get a lot of people that are going to come back and say I just don't get the art here so all I see is the pretty picture and with that I'm not interested I felt that there was plenty going on plenty of subtext here a lot of things that genuinely made me think we, we could be going a hundred different directions here and that excites me I don't even know if the second viewing that I give Braid somewhere down the line I will come out with the same opinions and that's exciting to me I like movies that challenge me from time to time and this is the first one on the list that has genuinely done that in a way which made me like very happy to get through I thought it was I thought it was a fucking great little movie and I gave it a four and a half out of five when it comes to my letterbox grade uh, or review I said what a great movie the subtext alone is something that I will run over and over in my head uh, I can't give much away in the review, but at the same time, if I did, I don't think it would dent your viewing. Wonderfully arty, beautifully scored, and with the three great female leads, Braid is a movie unafraid to take you up the garden path and smack you around the face for an hour and a half. I stick by those words, ladies and gents. Um, yeah, I don't think it's for everyone. I think it'll probably infuriate a lot of people, but for those that do want to check it out, I'm interested to see what you made of it. That was Braid. Right, we are powering through this at great pace. We're going to like hammer through this next one quickly because there's a whole lot of why is this a movie coming up. Um, let's do Polaroid. It was the next one on my list and the trailer is coming up right now. Hey, I found something. What is that? It's a camera. Are you ready? anybody there? What's that? Camera. Where'd you get it? I work at this antique store. This is so cool. Try it out on me. Group photo. Come yes. On. Smile. You work with Tyler Drew at the antique shop. Yeah. Tyler's dead. What? I think you're all in danger. What are you talking about? You see that shadow? After Tyler died, the shadow moved to this photo. I think if the shadow moves to your photo, you die. If it really freaks you out, we can get rid of the damn thing. Don't! Problem solved. What the? Sometimes to deal with tragedies, we make up urban legends. Except this wasn't an urban legend, this was real. He's coming. You did this. Look at the photo. Ah! 
it's moving. You've just heard the trailer for Polaroid. Yeah, this one's directed by Lars Kledberg, I think is how you pronounce that. He did the new Child's Play movie, which I genuinely enjoyed. I thought new Child's Play movie is a fucking hoot. Uh, it's based on the screenplay by Blair Butler. Um, the movie itself stars uh, Catherine Prescott, Tyler Young, Samantha Logan, Keenan Tracy, Priscilla Quintana, Javier Botet, Mitch Pelleggi, that's right, Mitch Pelleggi's in this one, the shocker himself, Davy Santos, Katie Stevens, other folk are in the movie. Synopsis for this one is, high school loner Bird Fletcher has no idea what dark secrets are tied to the mysterious Polaroid vintage camera she stumbles upon, but it doesn't take long to discover that those who have had their picture take, taken meet a tragic end. Dear God, does this movie want to be back in 1999, circa 2002. Uh, this movie is like a really dumb version of The Ring meets Final Destination meets Shutter, but with none of the awesome of any of them. Once your photo's taken on this, a demon can then, a shadow demon appears in the back of them and then kills you off in order that the photos are taken thinking very much of Final Destination. The fact that they're cursed as well is very much in line with the ring and the fact that it's in a Polaroid camera is very much in the style of Shutter but this movie is very much fucking dumb. This is a dumb, dumb, dumb movie. It was funny when we were, I posted that I was watching this one uh, our good buddy Derek from the Cinematic podcast jumped straight and went, oh the... The, the, the Killer Camera movie or the Haunted Camera movie or Curse Cat, I can't remember exactly his terminology. And I thought, well, if you're stripping it down to his dumb parts, yeah, that's probably what the movie's about. But I imagine I'll elevate it. No, no, no. That's what this movie is. I mean, fucking 14-year-old Duncan probably would have dug this movie quite a bit. 38-year-old Duncan thinks this movie is fucking stupid. <laughs> like, really, really, really stupid. And I mean, it's got some solid casting, it's got some pretty cool effects, but it's a dumb fucking movie that is wholly productible because I have lived through a time period where I've seen like a hundred of these sorts of movies before, and this one brings nothing new to it. It's almost like it's, it's saying, right, you old people won't watch this one, we'll get a new teenage crowd to check it out. Um, yeah, Polar Polaroid is a, is a head-scratcher of a movie for sure, and I have nothing else to say about it. Uh, my letterboxed review says, Had this movie been made back in the early 2000s, then it would have felt fresh and modern. Sadly, its cliched and formulaic presentation made me pine for the early 2000s G-horror classics Ring and Shutter. Shame really, as there were a few ideas that were interesting until their execution on screen. And I stick by every single word I wrote there. Uh, Polaroid gets a three because it's a slightly above average presented dumb fucking horror movie and that's that. Right, let's turn it around to another movie that was being pumped 
<laughs> towards me than ads were being pumped for everything they're worth. Uh, we have I Trapped the Devil, and here is the trailer. You watch TV? Listen to the news? Things are changing right before our eyes. Something is coming. I know you felt it. Did anybody follow you here? What? Something feels wrong. There's something in the air. A presence. It has been around for as long as anybody can remember. What have you done? There is something evil locked behind that door. Please help me. What else have you told about this? This is a nightmare. You back a dog into a corner, he's gonna bite. I don't know what he thinks I've done, but he's never gonna let me leave here. Faith makes people dangerous. You guys are not listening. I know this sounds crazy. I am not crazy. So you've just heard the trailer for I Trapped the Devil. It's another short movie, an hour and 20. Woo, loving those hour and 20 movies. Uh, right, this one. Um, directed and written by Joss Lobo. The movie itself stars Scott Poitras, I think is how you pronounce it, A.G. Bourne, who I hadn't seen that movie in fucking ages. Susan Burke, Ron Russell, John Marriott, some other folk, but let's not get into that. It's a fairly minimalistic cast here. And the synopsis says, a man descends into paranoia after trapping what he believes to be a devil in his basement. Uh, but things take a dark turn when his family unexpectedly arrive for Christmas. And that's right, ladies and gents, Christmas fucking horror movie. Um, I dug a lot of this movie and some elements I thought didn't help it. The stuff that I really dug about this movie is for the most part this feels like a really cool episode of the Twilight Zone that I had never seen. Has all that kind of trappings and leanings towards is this a guy who is going crazy or is what is behind the door? Is what is? Is that is that even English? Uh, could it be that what is behind the door is actually Satan himself? Uh, and, you know, the longer we spend in the house, the more the paranoia is presented in such a way that we're not entirely sure. And then we have a good idea of what we think is going on, but once again, is it what's going on? Could the devil just so easily be trapped behind the door? Does that make sense? I don't know. Uh, the performances are great in this one. E.J. Bourne is brilliant. Uh, I, I've loved him in a lot of things. I don't think he's always the greatest actor in the world, but I think he always commits fully to what he's doing. Uh, his supporting cast is excellent. The voice behind the door is creepy as fuck. Loved that. Loved it a lot. Um, the setup and location, single shot location inside the house, brilliant. It's kind of almost like a cabin in the woods sort of vibe. 
which I dug quite a bit. Uh, the fact it was set at Christmas with Christmas lights and trees and shit like that everywhere, once again, it makes me smile. A bit of snow as well never hurts a horror movie, in my opinion. Um, the story itself, though, is too long. Um, like every great Twilight Zone episode, this one should be nice and short. It should get in, get what it needs to do and get out. And it labours its point. Had this movie been about an hour, it would have been perfect length. Because there's 20 minutes in here that can easily be shaved out where characters are having inconsequential questions uh, through discussions. Um, and, you know, scenes that feel like they're building up, but then ramp back, then build up, then ramp back. So it's almost like the kind of cinematic equivalent of a devil reveal edging on screen. Um was not necessarily the greatest payoff. I did enjoy the ending quite a bit and it's what kind of saved the grade for me because about the 75% mark, so what, about the hour mark, I was like, you know, this one could probably score just below a three. And then the ending arrived and I was like, no, 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 you brought it back. Um, there's a lot to like about this one. I actually felt myself rooting more for it because I know for a fact that there's not a lot of money spent on this one. So when it came to I Trap the Devil, I gave it a three and a half out of five and I'm happy with that grade I think it is one that you should go and check out I think it does reward people that do like something a little bit different that like something a little bit indie there's plenty in here for you for sure my letterbox review said uh, had this been a Twilight no this has a Twilight Zone vibe which I could get behind for sure sadly uh, it's 1 hour and 25 minutes it overstays the mark a tad the acting and paranoia in this movie are a plus point too. It's a mixed bag overall, and I kind of stick with that. The score was really good. I'd love to find out who did the, the score for this movie because I, I, I dug that quite a bit. Right, so we only have two more movies to discuss, uh, so let's move on to the next one, which is available on Shudder. It is The Night Shifter. Uh, all one word for Night Shifter. And uh, the trailer's coming up right now. <laughs> Eu falo com o morto. Eu não sei explicar. É que o hospital é... Que o fim da linha. Então... É isso. Acabou. Porta aí, tomando porta, mas nós estamos aqui. Esperando, limpando, fogo, O que foi? Tá olhando o quê? Stênio! Stênio! Respira! Respira, Stênio! 
and you've just heard the trailer for The Night Shifter. So this one is directed by Denison Ramalho, I think is how you pronounce that. Probably isn't. I'm fully admitting that my pronunciation of foreign names is a bit shit. Um, the movie stars a lot of foreign people. Oh no, don't this to me. Daniel Di Oliveria, Fabulio Nascimento, Bianca Comparato. <laughs> Let's not do any more of this. This is a bad idea, Duncan. Let's move on. A synopsis for this one is Stenio, a night shifter of a morgue, has the ability to communicate with the cadavers that are brought to him every night. So, this one is a Brazilian horror movie or Argentinian, one of the two. I want to say it was Brazilian, so that's what I'm leaning into. A Brazilian horror movie and it kind of had maybe slight comedy tropes or certainly I felt it had slight comedy tropes and there's a bit of Cemetery Man in here to an extent which I quite appreciated. I think the practical effects are fucking rad. Um, I think overall, I don't want to give too much away in this one because I would say check this one out, it's available on Shudder. Overall, my biggest issue was it felt a bit repetitive. So this is something I've noticed on quite a few of the movies I'm watching for this run here, that when runtime gets long, unless you're doing something that I find really interesting or captivating, if you're essentially just repeating over and over again things that I've already seen in the movie, then I fall back on the well, why are we taking so long to get to the central idea of the movie? At its core though, it has a really cool kind of murder mystery setup, which I think really elevates it. But overall, what kept coming back to me was, for all I liked the casting, for all I liked the design, uh, the effects, like I said before, the score as well, and the cinematography is really, really good. And I don't think a lot of money was spent on this movie. Felt like a lot was spent on this movie. I just kept coming back to... I feel like we've done this scene before and I feel like we've done this scene before and I was waiting for something to come along to really elevate it, to push it to the next level and The Night Shifter doesn't really have that. Although like I say, I do think it's a rewarding watch. There's a lot in here that you combine out is really cool. The premise alone is something that I thought was really interesting. This idea of people almost giving away the gossip or the final stories they had in life whilst at their death, whilst they're on the morgue table, so to speak, and by giving this information out, this morgue guy starting to find that specifically things to do with his household and his wife are not necessarily the way he feels there are and the actions that spill out from that. It just took a bit long to get there. And I was really expecting some massive payoff and the movie kind of hangs back on that. Doesn't really go for the full nut, so to speak. It just kind of gives you a half nut. And I mean, it was an, like I say, it was really interesting. This one opened the Dead by Dawn Horror Film Festival in Edinburgh this year. And I usually go and see the opening movie. It's kind of like almost a tradition now that I go and do that. And for whatever reason, I couldn't make the opening of this one. And I was like very relieved when they announced they were putting on Shudder, but then knew instantly it was going to make my 31 of October, so I should hold back on it. So yeah, if you have a Shudder account, please check this one out and let me know what you made of it. At the moment, this one seems to be a dim the middle one as well, where a lot of people are like, you know, either they lean towards it, actually it was really good, or a lot of people kind of leaning towards it, 
actually it kind of lacked something that I really wanted to see and I'm on that second half. I'm in the really wanted to see push something a bit harder and I maybe didn't get what I quite wanted. And when it came to the grade for the Night Shifter, I gave it a 3. Now I haven't currently written my letterbox review for that, it'll be going up tonight in the wake of this episode so I won't bore you by repetition on that one. Needless to say that I thought it was an interesting little movie which didn't quite deliver on all the promises that I hoped it would from the way the movie started which was very remarkable, I just kind of got a bit, a bit re repetitive is the word that I'm looking for in, in its delivery. And an hour and 50 minutes, you really need to be doing something interesting to, to keep my attention right through to that point. Right, so we have one more to talk about. The 10th movie on this list for this episode is Trespassers. And we're going to do that movie right after the trailer coming up right now. Hello. We're here for the noon check-in. Guess we make ourselves at home then. Hi. How'd you guys find this place? We just kind of got lucky. They're amazing photographers. I haven't been in one of these since college. You were definitely right about this being your dream home. What's the plan, Joey boy? We're gonna go and find some weird strip clubs or something? Kidding. Come on. I just wanna forget that the world exists for a bit. Enjoy the dream while it lasts. Why would someone be here so late? I don't know, I can't see who it is. What, no, don't, don't answer the door. I am so sorry. My car broke down just down the road, and I was wondering if I could just use the phone really quick. You don't want her to come in. Why don't you go fix her car instead? I want us to go back five minutes, leave the door closed. One call. Yep, just me and four of my lovely new friends. We'll be here. What's going on? I learned the hard way. Sometimes you just can't stop what's coming. Okay, so I watched this one right before I started the recording on this one. So this is fresh in the mind. This is Trespassers. You've just heard the trailer for it. It's original title, fucking hellish title, which is Hellish Where the Home Is. Thank God they changed the name of that one. This one confused the fuck out of me because the poster for it, Jalo-esque to say the least. It had a hints of torso in its look and I was very much looking forward to this. Even the writing, the text is fucking bright yellow colours, like, ooh, Italian influenced, yay. Um, the cast, even the cast, kinda had my interest peaked a little bit in the reveal that we had a cameo from Feruza Balk, um, which I was very excited to see on there as well. So they renamed it Trespassers, and it's directed by Orson Obolowitz, I think is how you pronounce that. The rest of the cast is Angela Trimber, Jano Parrish, Jonathan Howard, Zach Avery, uh, Carlo Rota, Joey Abril, uh, Sebastian Souza, Chris Gann, and Sean W. Lozier. Synopsis for this one listed on IMDb. 
is a dysfunctional couple rent a modern luxury desert home for a weekend hoping to sort out their messed up lives. Just as they're about to settle in for a fun night, a neighbour turns up at the front door saying she's car trouble. And what and that's when the murderous trouble really starts. Because without knowing it, the four friends have landed slap bang in the wrong violent place at precisely the wrong bloody time. Hopefully your nerves of steel will hold for more than the most stylish, atmospheric and terror-filled home invasion horrors of them all. Um, yeah, so this one has jello leanings towards the style. Interestingly enough, use of colours, specifically our gentle tones of blues, purples and pinks um, are kind of strewn through here in positions that don't necessarily quite make sense. Um, but at its core, this movie really wants to be something like The Strangers, and it's not on that level at all. Fruza Balk is actually really good to see her, and she plays a really interesting role, and we'd love to see more of her. Is a small cameo role overall in the movie, but essentially, it is a very, very basic. It's a basic bitch. There you go. This is a basic bitch home invasion movie with nothing that makes it even remotely remarkable within the genre. The movie itself has a shitload of needless couple interaction. Are they getting on? Aren't they getting on? Uh, you know, is there potential for couple swap here? Um, what's going on with this dynamic that's going with the one character who specifically has some trauma in her past that she's not letting out? Um, kind of toxic masculinity and in the background this almost Pulp Fiction-esque what's in the suitcase kind of story going on revolving some photographs that you never see in the movie and sorry for spoiling this one but you never see um, and, and the crescendo is this kind of violent last 15 minutes of the movie but it's a whole hell of a lot of what we're doing, how we're doing here, we've got so many twists and turns and none of them feel fully respected or fully laid out in a way which made me happy to watch them. Uh, it's just a really, 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 really dumb basic movie and I, I have nothing else to say about Trespassers. I actually let the side down quite a bit. Uh, in terms of its grade, it joins so many already on the list at 2.5. What was funny was when the movie finished though, it kicked into full Jello kind of score, credit work, and I was like that, there is an, an idea or a premise for a movie in here, which would have been really interesting, something more along the lines of a home invasion set out like Torso, that they could have done here, that would have been really interesting, and it's almost as if they liked the trappings and style, but not the ability and tone to do it, and that's, that's his big kind of downside. Once again, no good use of practical effects, but overall a 2.5 out of 5 for Trespassers. Right, let's take a very short break. When we come back, we're closing out the show right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. To the podcast under the stairs. This has been bonus episode 198, covering the first 10 movies of our 31 of October. A mixed bag to say the least. Only one truly great movie. The rest have been various shades of okay to interesting to not very good at all. We will see where the next 10 take us, uh, which will be coming in, funnily enough. 
10 days time, ladies and gents, where we will be reviewing uh, The Forest of Love, Rust Creek, Boar, The Golem, Banana Splits, The Lapless Demon, Three from Hell, Pledge, November, and Black Forest. In fact, we might even get a little Zombieland double tap in there and swap one of them out. I don't quite know as of yet when I'm going to see that one, hopefully on Friday the 18th when it's released. But yeah, that's what's upcoming for us. There's a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. As always, as you come across and check us at an Apple podcast, subscribe to the feed and leave us a rating and a review. It's the best way to support us on that platform. You can also check us out at Stitcher, Smart Radio, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn and Spotify. Our website is tputzcast.com and to buy merch like posters and pins, you can do it by going to tputzcast.bigcartel.com. You can interact with us over on Facebook. Our group page is where the listeners chat, chat about the show and talk about movies. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. Alternatively, if you only want to know when the shows are dropping, occasionally check out a live stream or a Thursday Thursday, it's facebook.com forward slash tputzcast. You can interact with myself and the Baz on the twin problems of social media, sexiness, Instagram and Twitter. Both can be followed at Cast. Join us on Flick Chat social media for podcasts and listeners alike. You can listen to the show, interact with the show through a series of message posts as well. Um, it's free to download on both iOS and Android. The join code for our page is simply Cast. We've got about 130 people following us over there. You can be one as well. We have individual threads for all the stuff we're doing including the Bazarine stuff as well where you can post your favourite bits from the episodes directly in there and interact with the Baz flick chat, it's awesome do it, you know you want to the podcast under the stairs will return to you this Saturday when we do our special in reverence episode covering some of my favourite music by a little lesser known composing group of prog rockers from Italy called Goblin uh, but until then, wherever you are, what the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off. <laughs>